let's do it again, boys, here. Another off-season edition of Behind the Yellow Line. Full crew on this Friday night. We got Jeremy here. Randall is here. We are talking Chicago Cubs baseball. A week out from Thanksgiving, so a lot of people maybe in the sports world are thinking NFL games on Thursday, but we're talking Chicago Cubs baseball this offseason. Lots to get to today, some 40-man additions, some players tendered contracts, other guys non-tendered, awards from around baseball, so lots to get to. But I think, guys, the story in the Cubs world right now is still the manager. And this week we got a chance to see Craig Council get introduced to the manager of the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Randall, last week you shared your thoughts on Council as a Cub. Now he's in a uniform. He's got a number. He's the guy. How are you feeling this week? Honestly, it, it doesn't move the needle for me much one way or the other. I, you know, it's all part of it. Once they hired him, they were going to have to put him in a jersey and introduce him to the press. No big surprises there. So I would say it doesn't move the needle for me one way or the other. I think maybe the one thing that will start to move the needle is when you start to see maybe his fingerprints or uh, his paw prints, Weasley, uh, on the offseason, maybe signing guys who you know he has a history with, signing guys who maybe fit his style of managing. That's when it'll start to maybe move the needle one way or the other. Right now, you know, the press conference is a, a formalizing of what happened last week. So do you still kind of have a, a, a slight or or maybe more than a slight negative opinion of Craig Council? Just Absolutely. I, I okay. said last week, it's going to be a long journey here. It's not a journey that's going to be completed in a single offseason. I've been working on myself. We're going to get there. Eventually, it may take a couple of years. But yeah, wow. one one week, one week is not going to change a whole lot. All right. So I have a question about that then. All right. How about the fact that Craig Council, Mr. Native Milwaukee guy, uh, you know, bled the Brewers blue and gold or whatever the colors are. I'm colorblind. I don't care. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, went through the whole system, made them feel like he was one of them. They loved him. They were in on him. They they absolutely thought he was he was one of their guys. He did that commercial. I'm a you know, this is me. I'm from Whitefish Bay. And then he totally just destroyed all the Brewers fans, all the Milwaukee fans, and said, you know what? The Cubs are better. I want to play in the Cubs. Or well, manage the Cubs. I want to do that. Does that not tip the scales a little bit that he just crushed all of Milwaukee? It sure helps. It, it sure helps. Like if we're doing this on a zero to 100 scale, zero being, I still consider him to be a chimp faced weasel 100. I've fully accepted him. We've moved from like a zero to a five. Sure, like it helps. Like I appreciate him setting fire to the bridges on the way out. Not necessarily. He didn't actually do that, but I appreciate him uh, doing that. But, you know, it's going to be a long journey. This is going to be a an incremental journey. It's going to happen in increments of one or two. It's not going to happen in a week. But I do appreciate him uh, giving his own much more um, intelligent version of Ryan Terrio's I'm on the right side of the rivalry speech now. You know, there's been a lot of PR trying to endear the new manager of the Cubs to this fan base, a lot. Uh, certainly at the expense of the Brewers. The one story that caught my attention this week. So apparently back in the day, Craig Council was the commissioner of a three on three men's basketball league that of all the guys Pat Hughes played in. Like, that's the most bizarre connection I've seen to Craig Council to the Cubs. One, you know, I know Pat Hughes played hoops at some point in his life. There's stories about him that when he was on teams, he didn't get a lot of minutes, so he'd practice broadcasting on the bench. But I guess when he was a broadcaster for the Brewers, he was in a league that Council was the commissioner of. That's the weirdest connection I've seen so far of Craig Council to the Chicago Cubs. 
Yeah, I mean, you got to remember that Craig Council's dad, John Council, was a long time. Uh, he worked for the Brewers, so I'm sure that connection was, you know, there. And Craig said that, you know, he 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 scheduled all the games and handled the, the league kind of administrative duties. You know, it was just a three out of three league. But I, yeah, I, I, you know, it's hard for me to imagine just listening to Pat, thinking of Pat, just him playing basketball and then also apparently being kind of a red ass and playing basketball, <laughs> you know, according to Council. But uh, yeah, that, that was a fun story to come out from this. Uh, you know, and speaking, well, speaking of Hughes, I think the two things that kind of throw me off, you know, thinking of him as a California guy, I think he was born in Arizona, but he grew up in California. He, he doesn't feel that way to me when I listen to him broadcast. And then the long tenure that he had with the Brewers before making the move to the Cubs, it's not like he was there for two or three years. He had a long stint in Milwaukee when they were in the American League before getting the job with the Cubs, the promotion, and obviously he's the voice of the Cubs now. But when you think of Pat Hughes... I think of us oh, as an Illinois guy, not really the case. Ron, like you said, he is a, a Northern California, San Jose area is usually where he identifies with. Yeah. It's really difficult to imagine him you know, cursing out guys on the court, uh, complaining about fouls. That would be, yeah, I, I have difficulty picturing that. And you, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a lot of PR to endure him to Cubs fans. Jeremy has a story I'm sure he'll break out in a moment about what Council did in the off seasons that links him to Chicago. But yeah, uh, you know, you can certainly uh, speed up the process, Craig, by doing no shortage of pandering. I'm very capable of being pandered to. Now that you're a Cub, I guess that makes you a pander bear. Uh, but yeah, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a trip. And it's a long journey. It's a journey we're all going to go on together. Well, I, I just want to start off by saying I just wish Randall or all of us were we were just a quite a little bit older. Maybe got into the Cubs a little bit more in that mid-90s because I want to see how Randall would have felt about that switch of Pat Hughes coming down from Milwaukee to take over the Cubs radio. Was, it would he have been uh, not, you know, happy about that one. But uh yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, I, I guess, I don't know, just listen to 670 score. He he was definitely pandering on the score because when he first came in, the first thing he said, I was listening to uh, Bernstein talk. He was talking uh, to Bernstein saying, hey, I, I used to listen to Boris and Bernstein all the time because I used to live in Lincoln Park, which is kind of crazy. He used to live there during the offseason uh, when he was in the minors and he would commute and listen to that. So it kind of gives credence, I think, to that story that came out uh, a few days ago that Craig Council was to go anywhere. The Cubs were always kind of, he always viewed him as like a dream job. And I think that's kind of interesting. Although we know from uh, previous, his time in Milwaukee, he's very good at pandering because all those guys in Milwaukee thought he pandered to them a little bit. And then, and now they're all like, Craig Council's no different. He lied to us. He betrayed us. So uh, just take it all a little bit great. salt. Craig Council's very smart and he's very good at pandering to his fan base. He's very good at pandering. Of course, his hometown, Whitefish Bay, uh, a place that I'd always heard of, um, for professional reasons, and then I, I see it. I see it come up as his hometown. I'm like, well, that's that's a, a funny connection. I guess they wrote, was it ass on yeah. the the yeah, sign ass for Park. Craig Council Park <laughs> ass park. <laughs> it, that's that's very fun. Like the Brewers fans couldn't think of anything else to write on this sign for Craig Council Park, and they just ended up spray painting ass on the sign. That's yeah. very funny. More things like that, please. Yeah, and I'm just curious from your guys' perspective, and I, I think. I, we should start with Ronan because Ronan wasn't on last week hmm. uh, at all to give his ideas of this in general, uh, the take of 
you know, council and Ross being gone and all that. But uh, was there anything that came out of the press conference or your overall impressions of the press conference of Craig that maybe changed anything or not necessarily changed, but you thought was interesting or just any views that you had of that? Or was it just, you know, kind of perfunctory? Yeah, it's a press conference. They're just, you know, pushing them on us. You know, I thought he would be a better speaker than he is to be honest with you. That's what I thought. Like, this has nothing to do with his ability to manage a team. You're asking about the press conference. I saw clips from it, and I said, I thought he'd be a little more well-spoken. Like, the Cubs had that with Madden. I didn't think David Ross really had that. You know, like, it was very sort of simple sort of statements that were coming out from him. So that surprised me the most, because Council has this sort of reputation of being a bright, smart guy and 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 i'm not saying because he's not the most articulate he's not a bright smart guy that just caught my attention i thought it was a little i don't know if he was nervous or or if just the circumstances of going to milwaukee to the cubs is still a little bit awkward but i was a little bit like eh, i thought he'd, he'd get my attention a little bit more in the press conference but that that doesn't you know obviously affect his ability to do his job that was just the impression i got watching the press conference yeah he's a little i guess softer spoken is a good way to put it. The the quote that stood out to me, and I think the Cubs were probably thrilled to have this land as the poll quote. Maybe they even engineered it as the poll quote. He says, you know, it's time to be a Cub Is was his comment that stuck out to me. Reinforcing, I think, the sell job that Jed did on him and the maybe the internal reinforcing. Hey, could you really go out there and, you know, talk up? how it's time to be a Cub, because I think that'll play really well for free agents or maybe trade candidates who have some control over that. So that really, I think, jumped out at me. I think Jed engineered this really top to bottom, gets counsel, signs him in secret, introduces him, and then maybe passes him some talking points uh, before the press conference. Hey, could you work in this, this, and this? Because that'll play really well for the cameras. That's a good point, Randall. And and I think the, the big takeaway from that press conference really sort of jibe with them bringing in counsel in the first place. And it's like, are the Cubs going to make this move, bring in a high profile manager, invest all this money in a manager after having a manager that was not one of the highest paid managers in baseball without a commitment to trying to win. So I left that press conference going, they're not going to do all of this and then not go and try and put together a team to contend for a division championship or more. So, and that's the real moral from all of this, the Cubs going out and getting counsel to me, that's a signal and it's a, a completely 180 from where we were even last offseason. And while they did make some nice moves offseason, we like Bellinger coming in. There's some other stuff that were nice. This is different. This is a sense of urgency that we have not seen since 2015, maybe 2016 from this organization. That's the big takeaway that I got walking away from this press conference. Like, okay, he's not the best speaker in the world. This is not the best roster right now, but they're not going to take these steps without doing the next thing and bringing in a big time player. So I'm really excited about what this means. Big picture. Yeah. And I, I said this last week and I've said it since whatever issues I have with council and they are myriad, whatever issues I have with council and whatever I don't like about him, I do like what it signals for the Cubs. I do like it signals their willingness to go out there, throw money around and act like the Chicago Cubs where if you really want a player to come here, you have the money for it. You have a front office that clearly has some kind of talent for selling Chicago and selling the Cubs to free agents because we could list a whole bunch of guys that they went out and got with that kind of front office sell job. So whatever I don't like about council, I do like what it signals for the organization. I do like that it signals their willingness to go out there and make the not only the big move, but the big move that will greatly impact the club. 
yeah, I, I thought just getting back to a little bit to the press conference, I thought uh, I, I was I was kind of maybe like you a little bit. I was a little uh, surprised. I thought like, you know, he was going to come out and say some things that were, uh, you know, maybe more dynamic, I guess, or charismatic. But I I was kind of. I don't want to say like I was like impressed and surprised a little bit by how thoughtful and introspective he, he seemed hmm. like he, he seemed like a guy who who like thinks a lot and, and you know, is very introspective and always kind of trying to, um you know, make himself. It was almost like he it was almost like a therapeutic kind of way he was talking uh, in, in terms of like certainly a very different way than like David Ross talks you know and so i i just thought that was interesting like i didn't think he was as i said like the most dynamic person talking but I, he just seemed like a very thoughtful person and i thought that was a very interesting kind of takeaway from the press conference to me was like okay this is a guy who really is always kind of thinking about what he's doing always kind of internally trying to be better and and i i thought that was interesting did that remind you of any previous cubs manager um or no i mean it could be this is a different I, I do feel like it's a little different. Like, I guess, you know, you're, you're going back, you're thinking about Madden. You could probably, but Madden was always kind of more, I, it just seemed like more outgoing and more kind of, um, it, it wasn't quite like Madden always kind of like had like a little bit like of an affectation where I was always like, he was trying to perform it. I felt like, like it just, it didn't see, always seem like as genuine, like where council, I thought seemed a little more genuine in like his kind of thoughtfulness. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I just think like the way, he came across more as like, like he didn't come across as much as like a lot of other baseball managers do to me in terms of, and there's a lot of, you know, baseball managers of all different kinds, but like, you know, it's just being a former player, like, like he wasn't like Ross and he wasn't like, you know, he obviously wasn't like a Lou Pinella, you know, type guy. So I don't know. I just thought it was interesting. And uh, I, I'm interesting to see how it plays out. Cause like, that's obviously his reputation of being, you know, a guy who tends to push all the right buttons. Yeah, Jeremy, that's a, a great way to put it. Joe Madden kind of seemed like he was always going for like the T-shirt quote, maybe when he was speaking publicly. And, you know, that's that's fine. That's his his personality. He's got that that laid back kind of a little bit hippie vibe to him. And that's perfectly fine. Craig Council is not that. And then just like audibly different from David Ross. David Ross still has that very slight twang to him from his his southern origins. Uh, there's nothing southern, of course, about uh, Craig Council, uh, born in Wisconsin, raised in Wisconsin, school at Notre Dame. There's nothing southern about any of that. So just listening to their tones is already a little different. Um, and you, you mentioned, you know, always thinking, I don't want to knock David Ross like this. Some people might say David Ross was not always thinking um, a lot of the time. So, yeah, it, it, he does seem a lot more methodical. He does seem a lot less kind of seat of his pants is kind of doing what he thinks is right it does seem like there's a lot of process that goes into his decisions and i think that came through a little bit in the press conference i i also thought um i also i thought the way jed spoke about him was a little different because jed talked about like wanting to have a, a partner and like a guy like it seemed like i i feel like council is going to have like he, he talked about how he wants council to make him better you know and counsel to to challenge him. And I think Jed probably viewed David Ross as kind of subservient to him, you know, because like he hired him first time manager. They kind of grew him. I don't think he ever. And this is this isn't I, I'm not trying to make this about Ross, but I just think like I think Jed just internally probably didn't have the same type of respect for Ross just because, you know, he probably thought of him as like an underling, whereas he might think of counsel as somebody more 
kind of equal in terms of like he's still his boss, obviously, but just somebody like it's going to be more collaborative, I guess. So I don't know. I just thought that was kind of interesting as well. That's a good point. That's a good point. And I think the hiring of Ross was telling of what the Cubs plans were for the next couple of years there. Like it was obviously understood there's going to be some pivot away from the World Series core. We're going to get an inexpensive manager, a guy that doesn't have managerial experience. We're going to help mold him, a guy that we think will be competent with the clubhouse, competent with the media. And for all intents and purposes, I think David Ross was good at those two things for the most part. This is different, right? When you go out and give the largest contract in baseball history to a manager, that's not the same as a guy is first time ever managing. That's a huge fundamental shift for an organization. And I think that's a good point. You bring that up, Jeremy. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think they, you know, they obviously when they, I, I think when they hired Ross, I mean, in my opinion, they didn't, they had the idea that they were going to hire Ross from the beginning. So I don't think they like really, you know, really made an effort to really go out there and look, but I, I don't think they did that thinking they were doing the wrong thing or they were just doing it because they don't want to win. I, I think they really thought, you know, they were hiring David Ross to, 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 you know, improve the team to get the team where they want to. Cause I think they were kind of fed up with Joe by the end and they kind of wanted yeah. that. Oh yeah. Um, not that they didn't want that personality like Joe had at that towards the end. Um, but, and, and I don't want to take anything away from Ross in terms of like his preparation. Cause I do think he probably prepared and knew a lot and, and, you know, we all have our issues with him, but I, I just think, you know, as you said, they're going out, they're paying a ton of money for a manager. I think they want his input. They don't want, they're not, they want him to do things. They want to give him responsibility. I don't think they would be doing that going out and get Craig. I don't think Craig council would join somewhere and not have want to have that input as well. Like I, it, it wouldn't be. So I think at least at the start here, like Craig council is going to be, he's going to give his opinions on things. And I think they're going to take that into account. Yeah, definitely though, a shift in urgency. I would say from the end of this season, um, just where we were last off season where the Cubs, like that, like I said, they, they made some moves last year that we could all get behind. But then they were doing these kind of half-assed things. Like, why is Trey Mancini a Cub on a multi-year deal? Why is Eric Hosmer a Cub? That's not a move that a team makes when they're very serious about competing and trying to win a division championship. That's what a team does when they're trying to make the roster incrementally better, potentially, but on a value deal. And we're not hearing a lot of talk about value from Jed Hoyer this offseason, which I think is a good sign that, okay, go out and spend some money. Lots of chirping about Otani from multiple different sources potentially coming to Chicago. I think all of this is a good sign, and I think Cubs fans should be excited about it. I got a question for you guys, though, about counsel as a manager. And let me preface it really quickly with a mini rant. That being, I'm really frustrated these days and that it's hard to find like substantial news or information on things without the PR overkill. And the example that I'll give, not related to sports directly, is the Sphere in Las Vegas. So this venue opens in the last month or so, and everything you see online, it's the greatest venue ever. It's amazing. It's a spectacle. I'm a music fan. I go to lots of shows, big venues, small venues. This place opens, and I'm going online going, okay, there's got to be issues with it. Anytime a new venue opens, there's going to be complaints. There's going to be criticisms. Really hard to find that in the sea of PR nonsense that comes out. So Craig Council here as manager. Everybody says he's a great manager. Everybody says, oh, he's unanimously one of the best managers in Major League Baseball, and that gets parroted over and over and over and over again. The Cubs give him a ton of money. Help me understand, why is Craig Council such a good manager? What does this guy do better than everybody else that he's regarded and paid as the highest manager in baseball? Because you don't see a lot of that. You just see, oh, he's the best. He's one of the best. 
What does he actually do that makes him so good? Well, for me, who actually does think he's probably if the best, if not one of the best managers, I, I think for one, he he handles a bullpen extremely well. Like I, I think we've seen that over the years, the way he, I'm just watching him in the playoffs, which obviously hasn't always worked out for him, you know, but watching him down the stretch, just watching him up close the same way I assume Jed Hoyer has, because, you know, the Brewers have been, uh, yes, you're, you're, you're watching on MLB.TV down the stretch. You want to see the Brewers lose. So you're watching them intently uh, in September and August of, of these seasons. I think Craig Council has always been fantastic at managing a bullpen. Like he, I think he's always done a great job, gotten a lot out of his bullpens. I know he's had hater. He's had Devin Williams. That's true, but you just, I think he's done a great job. And I also like, look at the rosters of the Cubs and the Brewers from 2018 and 2023, obviously not 22 and 21 towards the late half, but look at those rosters. There's no way you can convince me the Brewers had better rosters than mm. the Cubs and the Brewers have won more divisions at that time period than the Cubs have. They've made the playoffs five of the last six years. I, this team was like last in baseball and offense last year and they won 92 games. Uh, they were terrible offensively. So I, I just think that there's a lot that council has done. You look at, I, I was looking the other day at Pakoda, the, the standings, uh, the projected standings for the Brewers over the last, you know, five, six, seven years. Council has over, like has, the council teams have overproduced amongst the league leaders over that time period. Like going to the year, people do not think a lot of the Brewers. And then they're always at the end of the season, a winning team winning 90 games often. So I I've been very impressed by him. I think bullpen management is a key part of that. I think that's a huge part. And so I, I think, I think he's a very good manager. I I was saying this in September and I'm a big council fan. I'm going to take a rare turn as the devil's advocate here. That was one of the reasons why I was never all that impressed by him, because mm. I feel like he kind of fell into a roster that was sort of manager proof. The 2018 Brewers, of course, which is where our troubles began. Uh, he had three untouchable arms at the back of that bullpen. He was able to get by by having his starting pitcher go five innings. And then you have somebody pitch the sixth, seventh, and another guy, the eighth, another guy in the ninth. I always felt like he was a little overrated because, yeah, if you have three untouchable relievers at the back of the bullpen, if you have Knable, if you have Hader, and Jeremy, help me out. Is there one I'm forgetting here from 2018? Was Williams up by that point? I don't think Devin Williams was up by that point. Okay, so whoever, whoever they had at the back end of that bullpen in 2018, it felt like it was... A, a foolproof blueprint. And I always thought he was overcredited to a certain degree for being able to use these very potent weapons to find success. And I see Jeremy, I see him warming up here. It's like, he's, he's oh, winding up to, to counter me, um, which is fine. But I always thought he was a little bit overrated in that regard in that he did things that any manager would do if you had a roster that was built like that, because Jeremy, like you said, he has gotten more out of these brewers rosters than any of these projection systems believed you could squeeze out of this. And again, it always felt like he, it always felt like he was able to move around very capable pieces and do what any manager would have done. And that was always the basis for one of my beliefs that he is overrated. Of course, now I have to hope quietly that he's not overrated and that it is the manager and not the players as sports puts you in some strange positions, but we go where we go. Uh, but that was, yeah, that's, that's my thing. I always thought he was a little bit overrated in that regard. And I, I guess we will see which of the two extremes is the case or if it's somewhere in the middle now that he's somewhere new. Well, well, I mean, I will, I will point out, and this does not mean that much, but 
I mean, last night or the other night, he finished in second place for the fourth time in manager of the year. So obviously people have been over time have thought he's been pretty good at his job of to finish in four times in second place. Uh, But Randall, that 2018 team, like I think you would say pretty clearly was not as talented as the Cubs. They were not. And not even close. And yet they finished with the same record, beat the Cubs in the one game playoff, made it all the way to the NLCS. I remember. I don't think I think it's hard to say his rosters have been manager proof when you look at the rosters like they haven't been good. If those rosters are manager proof. I think the Cubs have had better rosters. So those rosters, the Cubs roster should have been manager proof. So, yeah, he has good back end arms. But I, I don't I feel like you're saying that those teams were bad, but then you're also using it as a reason to then knock console as well. I think console those teams were not that great. I thought I've long thought console has been the best part of those Milwaukee Brewers teams. 2018 had Christian Yelich homering on 48% of his fly balls that season. Another thing I like, I was, I remember thinking at the time, and again, I'm not saying I haven't mellowed a little bit since then, but like, are we giving counsel for credit for that too? And again, it, it, things, a lot of things are different now with hindsight comes clarity and with him switching sides comes a little bit of clarity. I, I always felt like he was overcredited for players on his roster overachieving i'm not saying that's fair i'm not saying that's right the the lizard brain up here it whispers certain things to help you get through the season that was that was where i always landed with him for that reason randall i know on the show last week and i was not on it um you basically said i'm not deleting any of my old tweets i said what i said i I meant what i meant Um, i was looking through some of them just some of the names you've called craig council over the years i'm ready for this all right um you've called him a dweeb Many yes. times. Yep. You've called him a weasel many times. Many times. Oh, yes. Many, many times. Um, Karen came <laughs> up here uh, from time to time. That's got to be hard for you to rectify that with this guy in a Cubs uniform this week at Wrigley Field. This guy's the boss of the field now with big expectations, and you're calling him a Karen, a dweeb, and a weasel. Uh, yeah, the Holy Trinity, the, the Karen, the dream, and the weasel. Cross yourself. Um, yeah, I, I did. I did say all those things. I deny none of them. Uh, I may still be saying some of those things. I, I you know, I'm going to say again, it, it's a journey. It's a journey uh, I'm going to go on. I'm going to, you know, go through the desert, go through the forest and go over the bridge, uh, you know, along the beach. It, it's a journey. We're going to get there. It's going to take a while. But no, I'm not deleting anything. I take nothing back. I, I said all those things. Uh, Dweeb, Karen, Weasel and more. And, you know, they, they all happened. I said all those things. I deny nothing. Chimp faced, I believe. Chimp faced, yes, yeah, that was on there. fire. Chimp Randall yeah. said last week that he needs a World Series, World Series or bus for Craig Council. It would help, yeah. Uh, otherwise, he's not getting on the council train. Well, I look, I'm on the council train now. I mean, I, it, it's weird. He's it's definitely coach. weird seeing him in a Cubs uniform. This guy has been an enemy for years, but um, I'm buying the hype. And and more importantly, again, I think this signals spending money this offseason, legitimately spending money this offseason. Fan graphs this week coming out and saying the Cubs minor league system has the most value of any minor league system in baseball. So what I'm seeing is a team that overperformed a little bit last year. They've got some key pieces coming back. You got gold glovers up the middle. You got some interesting pieces in the rotation, things like that. You got a really good farm system and a ton of money you can potentially spend. Plus, the Cubs are tied into headlines with a guy named Shohei Otani. And I'll tell you, I'm starting to buy it. And for the last two years, I've been saying there's no chance in hell. Tom Ricketts isn't going to spend money. I'm not sitting here saying it's a done deal. But I like the vibes around the Cubs right now. I like the optics that they're very seriously going to be in the mix for Otani. And you know what? It might actually happen. And I, I want to say this. 
you know, these same sources, quote unquote, we all know what I think, uh, that the Dodgers are the front runner. And if the Dodgers are the front runner, that's perfectly fine. Shohei is literally a free agent. He can pick and sign wherever he wants. And that is his earned right. And I don't begrudge him whatever decision he makes. But what I reject is the notion that the Cubs are somehow second place as a destination to the Dodgers when you take Shohei out of the equation. The Dodgers have not accomplished anything more recently than the the Mickey Mouse World Series, 60 games. Since then, first round exits, nothing all that interesting. They have plenty of money to spend, but I'm going to turn my nose up a little bit and I'm going to say Chicago is just as good as, if not a better destination than LA. I'm going to turn my nose up and say Wrigley is definitely a better destination than Dodger Stadium. What I'm saying is that we should not consider the Cubs to be this kind of plucky second place. They really have to sell him on it. Chicago is a destination and Wrigley Field is a destination. If there is money to spend, I reject the notion that the Cubs are somehow an inferior destination to the Dodgers. Again, if he picks the Dodgers and he wants to be a Dodger and they are going to pay him all the money in the world and a cut of the parking lots, you can't do anything about that because he has earned the right to make that choice. I just reject the notion that we should view the Cubs as an inferior destination versus the Dodgers. I'll go half in with you on that. All right. Yes, that's fine. The Cubs are not an inferior destination to the Dodgers. Nope. But they are inferior in terms of their ability to perform over the last decade or 15 years in the Dodgers. It's not even close, right? Like, yes, they both have won World Series championship. I don't like people online or my co-host in this instance poo-pooing what the Dodgers have done because they only have one World Series championship over the last 10 or 15 years. What they have done I am jealous of what they've done. This is what I want and expect the Cubs to be doing. They win the division every year. They make the playoffs. It's very, very hard to win a World Series championship. So I'm not on board with the, well, they got eliminated in the first round. They were in the first round. They have been in the first round for the last 10 plus years. So I don't like that part of it. But yeah, I think Chicago's as competitive as any market in baseball. I think Wrigley Field and the Cubs fandom put it up with anybody. But in terms of wins and losses, the Dodgers are what I want the Cubs to be. Just because they got one World Series championship, I'm not going to diminish that. I want the Cubs to be competitive every year. I want them to be in the playoffs every year. And I want them to do what the Dodgers have done, which is attract free agents, go out aggressively and acquire trade folks, while also developing a really strong farm system. And Cubs fans should be jealous of the Dodgers because they're really good about doing that. And I do. I also laugh at the notion that Shohei is not going to want to come to Chicago because they don't have those wins. How do you get those wins? By convincing a free agent, this is where you want to be. By getting Shohei Otani to say it's time to be a Cub. Uh, so you know, I, I just fully I reject the notion that we should view the Cubs as some sort of inferior destination. I don't think we should doubt this front office's ability to zero in on their guy and sell the Cubs and sell Wrigley and sell Chicago because they've been doing it for the last two off seasons now, and they've been doing it to bring in some pretty effective names. So again, I'm not saying he's going to come here. I'm saying I think the pieces are in place for them to at least make a very very spirited pitch to him. Yeah, uh, well, I, I would. Agree with you, uh, Ronan. I, I think the Dodgers are probably the premier, well, them and the Astros are probably right now the premier organization in uh sports, you know, the obvi- or, excuse me, baseball at least. Uh, I, I think most people would probably view them that way. They've obviously won, and hey, you talk about their lack of postseason success, but always getting in. That's why I like about Craig Council five out of the last six years in the playoffs. Yeah, the postseason success hasn't been there, but let's keep going with that going. As for Shohei, I, I think the Cubs are obviously. I think they're going to be, I think they are sending out all the signs that they're going to be in it. I expect them to make a 
large offer. I think anybody that's going to be in the Shohei Otani sweepstakes is going to make a very large offer. So all this kind of noise about how the Cubs are going to put together a very lucrative offer, like everyone's going to put together a very lucrative offer. So like that doesn't kind of sway me, but I do think they're going to be in on it. I think they're going to be aggressive. I'm skeptical of their that they will land him because I think there are very a variety of factors that do go against them that some of them they don't have control over, like geography, but who knows whether geography matters. Some of them, you know, the fact that the Cubs did kind of have like 21 and 22, like you're, you're going to view those years. Even you, If you see the Dodgers, you see them, in, as you said, in the playoffs every season, you're still probably going to view them as of those years is like, well, what, what are there? So there's a little bit of questions that the Cubs have to answer. They have to put out, what's our plan? What we're going to be winners during your, your time. So I don't, I don't think it necessarily just it eliminates them, but like, those are questions, but uh, I, I'm just skeptical that they will land him, but I do think they're going to make an effort and I'm happy that they're going to make an effort. I'd, I'd rather much have that than the guy on the South side who said, we're not going to be in any Otani sweepstakes, like in the middle of the season, which is actually probably tampering, you know, uh, or a form of it, like against the MLB, you know, CBA. One more thought on council here. This is more so for Randall. You're a numbers guy. Number 30. What do you make of that? Number 30. Now, no surprise. It was his number for a number of stops as a player. It was the number he wore as a manager. It's the number, Jeremy, I think you might have sent, the image of the the Brewers fan carrying his framed number 30 yes. council jersey out of the office. So, yeah, it's, it's no real surprises. 30 um, in his championship winning turn as a Florida Marlin, 30 in his stop as a Dodger, as a player, and 30 in his career ending seven season or so stop as a Brewer. His number as a manager, there was no surprise. And it was open with Edwin Rios uh, no longer being in the organization. So I would call it particularly unsurprising. Randall, how can you not see all those clips of those devastated Brewers fans and not feel a little bit endeared by Craig Council? I never said that didn't endear it. I'm always down for sad Brewers fans. I didn't say that didn't endear to me. I said, Jeremy, we've gone from like a zero to a five on a like a zero to 100 scale. So we're, we're getting it's an it's an increase. You know, you can say it's an increase from nothing. And that's true. But it is an increase, Jeremy. It's incremental. It's not going to happen in a week. It destroyed all Brewers fans. That's what you love. You love seeing Brewers fans hurt. And who yes, did it the I'm, most? They're I'm, saying it's almost worse than there's probably worse than Favre. In Wisconsin, it's like the biggest betrayal of Wisconsin sports history. Boy, I don't know how how the state survives this one, honestly. Well, there have been a lot of interesting 30s over the years. You can go to CubsByTheNumbers.com, look it up. Uh, Steve Stone, we're number 30 in his time with the Cubs. Uh, In more of our timeline here, Ozzie Timmons, Jeremy Gonzalez, Mark Guthrie, Matt Stairs, Matt Clement, some of these guys that were number 30. But I saw a historic number 30 that made me think of my co-host here. Back in 1952, the Cubs had a pitcher named Willie Ramsdell. Not Randall, but Ramsdell, R-A-M-S-D-E-L-L. And ironically, Jeremy, he's from Kansas. So another connection there to Randall. Uh, Didn't appear in a lot of games with the Cubs, 19 games with the Cubs. He started four, he finished eight, had a nice ERA that year, 2.42 for the 1952 Chicago Cubs. He was 36 years old that year. Uh, So win one for Willie Ramsdell, Craig Council. Wear that 30 with pride. Yeah, 30 to me in the modern years will always be Ted Lilly. And sadly, the enduring image of him probably slamming the glove down during the playoffs in 2007. That's probably my modern number 30, Ted Lilly. Well, I have to ask my pops if he remembers Willie Ramsdell. It's sort of in his wheelhouse there, the early 1950s, but not a lot of games. 19 games for the Cubs that year. He played for Brooklyn. He played for Cincinnati. So his whole career in the National League before finishing with the Cubs in 1952.
All right, 2023, 2024, rather, probably a better way to put this, Chicago Cubs. Got some roster moves here. Um, maybe the most surprising today, a couple of Cubs who were non-tendered, including Cody Hoyer from the Chicago White Sox. He came over in that trade with Craig Kimbrell. He's been hurt and hurt some more. Now he's non-tendered. Uh, also surprising, apparently the Cubs today have worked out a deal with Patrick Wisdom. What do we think of that? Yeah, I, I'm not super surprised by it. I am a little surprised by the number with the fact that they already worked out a deal. Um, but uh, I thought they were going to tender him a contract. You you asked a couple of weeks ago, like, do you expect Patrick Wisdom to be back on the Cubs? And I said yes, because I thought he's a power bench off the bat. Excuse me, he's a power bench off the bat. He's a power bat off the bench, which makes a lot more sense to say. Um, that's the way I view him. Like, he had a eight. Like, you look at even last year, like, first of all, he, he's hit average, what, like 25 homers a year since he's been on the club. Uh, but even even coming back from injury at the end of last year, he had an 869 OPS since July. So I think if you utilize him right, which we're hopeful council will do, he he will give you some. So I'm not surprised. What I am surprised about, he came to a deal that's already 2.7 million. I figured if he already had a deal, it would probably be less than 2.7 million because I just figured it was probably something along the lines of like agree to this deal or we're going to non-tender you. But so that number was a little higher than I expected. But you know, I expect the Cubs to spend this offseason, so I don't think 2.7 million is going to crush them. So uh, I'm not put out by it. Yeah, I'm a little surprised that Wisdom uh, survived the cut. I felt like they might have thought that you can get somebody who provides his one useful tool, which is power, for not occupying an all-important 40-man spot right now. But they felt like you could get some cost-controlled certainty there, lock that it, lock in that roster spot and that – I guess that role on the team before you really dive into the, the off season water. So I'm a little surprised, but like you said, maybe a better manager will make better use of one Patrick wisdom and utilize that roster spot a lot more efficiently than the previous manager did. Right. And, uh, and what obviously, obviously I don't, I don't necessarily think this like it it doesn't obviously commit him to being on the open day roster. Like that's true. They can still move on from him. Right. Like maybe he gets traded or maybe, you know, even he doesn't make the team because like the Cubs were willing to eat a lot of money last year. So we'll see how they're willing to eat some money at, maybe at the end of spring training. So like it just, you know, for right now, he's going to be around for spring, at least spring training. Yeah. Yeah. No guarantee. He makes that opening day roster, but a little bit of depth going towards spring training. A uh, good week for Justin Steele. He was a final, uh, uh, finished top five rather in Cy Young in the National League. That earns him $1 million. That's good. Um, and he's got some money coming too here uh, this offseason as well. So exciting times for him. Cubs with three additions to the 40-man roster here. Left, uh, left-handed left pitcher Bailey Horn, Porter Hodge, Michael Arias added to the 40-man. Of those three, who do we expect contributes to the Cubs in 2024? I think Bailey Horn is the, the easy answer there. He's already at AAA. Uh, excellent reputation as a left-handed reliever, especially one whom left-handed batters have considerable difficulty against. I will say Michael Arias is a little bit of a surprise, especially being probably as far away from the majors as he is. Um, but, you know, you want to have guys that you think other teams might want to take. And it, it's a little unfortunate that it requires a 40-man spot, which are, of course, so important to protect these guys. But at the same time, if you Cubs had whispers or intel that there might be teams out there willing to take a chance and risk a roster spot on a guy like Porter Hodge or Michael Harris, that speaks to your player development because you've got guys that are so far away from MLB who might still be valuable to other teams. Yeah, I'd agree with you on uh, Bailey Horn, I think, is most likely to be uh, make uh, you know uh, an appearance next year on 
the big league roster. I think, you know, we looked at last year, the Cubs had so much issues not having a lefty be, being able to come out of the pen. Mark Leiter Jr. was really the only guy that was like could consistently get lefties out. And he obviously struggled toward the end of the season. So I think having a guy like Bailey Horn, who I believe the Cubs got for Ryan Tapera, the Tapera trade, I think he's another guy uh, coming over from the White Sox in 2021. Uh, so I, I think he will be the guy that is most likely to make an impact on the 2024 Cubs of these three players. Of the three non-tendered guys today, Cody Hoyer, Ethan Roberts, and Brandon Hughes, doesn't mean they're necessarily done with the Cubs. They could come back on a minor league deal, uh, but now they're sort of out there that if another team wants to bite and give them a contract, um, I could see all three of those getting a chance with another team. Is there a hope that one or two of those will at least be back in the organization next year, and who would you prioritize? Me personally, I'd prioritize Hughes just because he is a left-handed reliever with a decent track record. Maybe they think the injuries are, you know, going to make that that track record of success a very short-lived one. Ethan Roberts, um, I'd like to see him back just because he was a great homegrown story, a guy who came up through the organization over many years, and of course he has to get Tommy John very very early in his first MLB season. So. Uh, Personally, I'd like to see Roberts back. Roster-wise, I'd like to see Hughes back. I'm a little surprised they did non-tender Hughes, but you have to make difficult decisions this time of year. Yeah, all three of these guys are kind of similar in the fact that they're all injured relievers who haven't really pitched a lot, especially at least in 2023. I mean, you can do Hoyer and Roberts haven't really pitched since, you know, almost two years now. Uh, so I, I guess from that standpoint it's not really surprising that these guys they moved on from these guys as you said they could bring them back obviously the cubs probably know a lot more about uh their injury history so like cody hoyer i think dropping him probably means that he, he hasn't pitched really since 2021 he had all these injuries that they're probably moving on from him um so i i, I could see that so yeah I, I guess i would say i would agree with randall a little bit with hughes i i think just being a guy who most recently pitched in the majors who mm -hmm. has being a, that lefty when we talked about the Cubs not having any lefties I think he would probably be the guy I would see as most likely to come back but the fact that all these guys are so hurt it, I, I kind of just have to leave it up to the Cubs who know their injury history well we'll see lots more moves to make here for the Cubs as this offseason really gets rolling here um, we got a couple other topics across baseball we want to talk about tonight I want to start with one that comes back to the Cubs here I think surprising news yesterday the Atlanta Braves awarded the 2025 all-star game the consensus, at least in Chicago, was that should have been the Cubs game there. So that doesn't go to the Cubs, which means at the absolute earliest, the Cubs can host in 2027, uh, 2026 already awarded to Philadelphia, uh, 2025 now to the Atlanta Braves. Randall, you were the most vocal being frustrated with this decision. Uh, you got to be upset here that Atlanta gets another crack at the All-Star game. The Cubs have not had one since 1990. Yeah, it's it's a it's a a makeup award. They of course were to have hosted in 2021. It was moved out for political reasons. I, I, I I'm I'm not I'm not good with this. I know why they did it, but I'm not good with it. It should have been the Cubs in 2025. It has been a number of decades since the Cubs hosted. Wrigley is renovated. The neighborhood is renovated. 2025 should have been the Cubs. Now it won't be 2027 at the earliest. And that is just so far off. I do not like it very much. But there is nothing I can do about it. So thanks, MLB. Yeah, I, I would say that, you know, the, uh, you talked about the they moved the game in 2021 from Atlanta to Colorado for, you know, as you alluded to political reasons, you know, the optics of of the 
Georgia voting laws that they had enacted at that time. Well, Georgia didn't do anything different. They didn't change anything. Those laws yeah. are still in effect. So the fact that that's going back there, it kind of makes it seem like the MLB just did it, as I said, just for the optics of it, because they were getting crap and now they're going back there. It really didn't matter. So uh, that's the one thing I take away from this is that, that, that there was really nothing, no reason why they did it in 2021, other than the fact that advertisers were possibly pulling out or whatever, because it was, it was kind of a more, hectic period of time and now in 2025 we're five years away just put it back there i wonder how much of it too i mean i definitely think it is a a bit of a gift for what happened in 2021 i also wonder you know you look at the braves core they've got all of these players they've been very competitive they're still going to have that core in 2025 i wonder if that factored into it at all you know let's let's maximize this new era of braves baseball the best era of braves baseball since the 1990s um, what this does, though, is it, it makes me wonder about the viability of 2027 for the Cubs, though, as well. So 2024 next year, it's going to be in Arlington, which just got the World Series here, Globe Life Field. Then it's Atlanta in 2025 at Truist Park. Philadelphia in 2026, if the Cubs were to get it in 2027, that would be three straight years of a National League team hosting the All-Star game. It used to be they would alternate, you know, NL and then AL. They've gotten away from that in recent years. But I'm hard-pressed to think that three years in a row we're going to see an NL team hosting an All-Star game, which probably means 2028 at the earliest for the Cubs and Wrigley Field. Um, But maybe at that point, you know, the Cubs will be like four or five time World Series champs in the middle of their core, right? (laughs) Got to be optimistic here with Craig Council at the helm. Greatest manager ever. Uh, Yeah, obviously 2027 is going to Tampa, the only team that has never hosted an All-Star game. So that's that. But, uh, (laughs) you know, the Cubs have got to be right there, you know, as the longest without an all-star game and they've put a lot of money into Wrigleyville, unlike, you know, Tampa. So I, you think at some point the Cubs would get rewarded with an all-star game. Maybe that uh, 2027 game will be at that triple a park in Las Vegas. Yeah. It'll be 120 <laughs> degrees for the home run derby, but uh the whole different story there with Oakland. Um, Let's talk winners though. It's a big week here for award winners. Uh, Jeremy also with some, Nice predictions here at the start of the year. Let's start with MVP. Unanimous MVP in the American League. Potentially future Cub here, Shohei Otani. Second time in his career, he's a unanimous MVP. Incredible for him uh, over there with Anaheim. Uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. takes it in the National League. Back at the beginning of the year, March 23rd, in fact, we made our predictions back on Behind the Yellow Line, episode 104. And Jeremy, clean sweep for you at MVP. You had both Otani and Acuna Jr. Randall joined you for Otani there in the American League. Uh, but I think as we zoom out here, you know, no real surprises. Those two guys really dominated in both leagues. Yeah, the surprising thing to me has been how clear it was, I guess, at the end of the season for the voters because almost all of these picks have been unanimous it it seems like like that's the guy we're all voting for him and so yeah that's the one thing that was surprising me you know Acuna and Otani were both unanimous picks there's been a lot of unanimous picks here really like manager of the year was the only thing there was any drama over yeah I don't think there was any real ambiguity with the MVPs Acuna having the power and speed season that he did Otani of course having another dominant season as a two-way player right up until the end. I don't think there was any real ambiguity to that's no knock on. It's funny. It was a winner and then two runners up from the same team on each side. So no knock on the middle infield duo of Seager and Semyon in Texas, no knock on, I guess he called the right side duo. I don't know what you want to call it, but Betts and Freeman in LA, 
all four of those guys had great seasons on good teams, but I don't think there was any real question as to who was going to come out as the MVP. Unanimous surprises me just because I feel like there's always one writer who wants to say, <laughs> well, it didn't win unanimously. Then you find out they voted against him. So I'm a little surprised that both pulled it off unanimously, but I think that speaks to how head and shoulders above everyone else they were. Yeah. A Cy Young, American League, Garrett Cole takes it for the New York Yankees. Jeremy predicted that back in March. In the National League, Blake Snell, none of the three of us thought he would be the no. guy. This guy is an impending free agent, so you want to go get paid, go win the Cy Young, then become a free agent. Uh, good for Blake Snell. Right, yeah, definitely. And and Blake Snell, two-time Cy Young Award winner, but doing it in very weird ways with you know the, the amount of walks he gives up and not being able to go deep into to games. But uh, I will point out that both me and Ronan – uh, also picked Spencer Strider, who did finish in the top five of uh, Cy Young voting. So there, I think we should get a little bit of extra credit there just so I can get like a four and a half or something. But, <laughs> sure, uh, sure. Top five voting. Um, but uh, yeah, I just uh, weird. I feel like the NL Cy Young was kind of weird, but it seemed like there was also there was a clear guy there. It was weird. And, and it's it'll be very it's very sad to me that Justin Steele pitched him self off of that podium in the final month. But again, he's just going to have to go out there and win it next season go from his fifth place finish like you said which nets him some extra money to a first place finish so yeah it is a a very weird way for snell to win the award but i'm wondering how many players in their career have won major awards for the rays and the padres two teams that you, you don't think of as being traditional baseball powerhouses and snell has won a cy young with each franchise so he has that going for the back of his baseball card as well i would guess zero outside of snell yeah. That's my guy. Not even thinking about it. Maybe there's been one that I would should come in, but like Rays and Padres, you know, it can obviously only be since 1998, but uh, who knows? I mean, well, Myers played for both and he won on rookie of the year, but that's just one. Well, speaking of rookie of the year, Baltimore gets it in the American League. Henderson, uh, Jeremy, you and I predicted that back in March. Uh, over in the National League, Corbin Carroll of the uh, National League pennant winning Arizona Diamondbacks takes it. Randall predicted that. Um, my thought on those two, really just Corbin Carroll, uh, what a coming out party for him in Major League Baseball this year. This guy is going to dominate for the next decade. I'm a little bummed he's in Arizona. I wish he was with like a more fun organization. Um, would take him in Chicago. No brainer there. But uh, good to see him bring it home there. Corbin Carroll in the National League. Yeah, Randall getting Corbin Carroll out there in yeah. March. Nice prediction there. Wow. I know things. I know things, man. Ronan and I both went with the uh, the the Cardinal and you know, he proved he can't play defense, but he can hit a little no. bit. But uh, uh, Jordan Walker, we're talking about, but yeah, the impressive season by Corbin Carroll. I, I mean, big part of obviously why the Arizona Diamondbacks made it all the way to the World Series. So that that's a guy people are going to have to contend with. And I, I want to say Corbin Carroll. We all know what I think of the Diamondbacks. We don't need to get back into that. Corbin Carroll, I think, is the kind of player you can legitimately build a franchise around, not just as a great outfielder, not just as a great offensive player, but the things you hear about him individually there was one point at the season which he accidentally spiked somebody immediately he stops play he he gets down and says hey man you all right sorry about that and he had a teammate traded from the diamondbacks to the seattle mariners corbin carroll of course is a seattle area native apparently he told this player hey man you need anything in seattle here's my parents phone number you need anything give them a call they'll be more than happy to help you out i think that's a very underrated quality in a player, a guy who really becomes the center of his franchise. So Ronan, like you said, I wish he were somewhere other than Arizona, because I think that's a good franchise cornerstone they have out there. 
and he's going to be there for a long time, a huge extension, eight years, $111 million. He's just 22 years old. So we're going to see the bulk of his career there in Arizona, and they're coming off a pennant. So we'll see how all that plays out. Of those three awards, Rookie of the Year, Cy Young MVP, how did the Cubs not get all three next year, right? Justin Steele's going to be the Cy Young, Otani's going to be the MVP, and Pete Crow Armstrong's going to be Rookie of the Year. How does that sound? And Council's going to be it. Manager of the Year. Perfect. <laughs> Four for four. I will take it because that probably means very good things happened during the 2024 season. Yeah, sounds good to me. Um, one other story here I want to touch on. Uh, official all Major League Baseball owners, a 30 to zero vote in support of the Oakland Athletics leaving the Bay Area, going to Las Vegas. Still not a done deal, but one more step towards that team relocating. Of course, they've relocated in the past from Philadelphia to Kansas City, Kansas City to Oakland, and now Oakland likely to Las Vegas. Um, were either of you surprised it was unanimous? Did you think maybe one owner was going to put himself out there and say, no, this shouldn't happen? Well, it didn't no, happen. I, it was 30 to zero. I do think the owners, the more influential ones, probably did a little bit of convincing behind the scenes to say, hey, we should come out as a unanimous front. So it does not surprise me. I don't know that they all, they love it, but I think they probably all stand to potentially enrich themselves from a team moving from Oakland to Vegas, getting a new ballpark. So I'm not surprised in the slightest that publicly the vote was unanimous. Yeah. I'm not surprised either. You know, I think they all realized, uh, you know, at some point they're all likely to be in a similar position where they're trying to, extort to government for you know public yeah. <laughs> money i guess it is a censor or similarly so they don't want to be the one to prevent somebody else from doing it when they're gonna to have to do it so I, I that's the way i see it at least you know and manfred you know obviously works for the owners he's just gonna stick up for whatever the owners want to do so i i just yeah i i think it's not surprising i, I did see an internet rumor coming from some oakland spaces that supposedly mm. peter seidler the Unfortunately, uh, passed away. The former owner of the uh, San Diego Padres, who passed away this week, was supposedly leading some resistance against it, where he was thinking he could get like seven to eight votes against it, uh, which I think they needed eight to prevent it. Uh, and he passed away, and that kind of killed that momentum. I don't know how true that is. I, I saw it on some Oakland, you know, fan sites that were going on about this. So I can't, you know, there's no, I don't know any veracity to that, but supposedly that's something that was out there, but uh, yeah, it seems like 99% of this is done. There's only like maybe one small hurdle about whether or not the teachers can get a referendum on it to vote against it, uh, to have the public vote against it, but they've struggled to get that to begin with, you know, being rejected in the first place. So uh, it seems like it's going to happen. It's, yeah, it's well on the road. It's going to happen. And yeah, it's, it's just, I would say it's disappointing for fans of Oakland who have lost all three of their teams in the last mm-hmm. five years. It seems like. Yeah. I think it's brutal. I, I mean, we've spoken at length on this podcast about, I think all three of us would prefer there be professional baseball in Oakland. Um, maybe more importantly that we don't really want professional baseball in Las Vegas. We don't know that it's going to necessarily work, but I'm still holding out. There is a sliver of hope that this could still not happen. And one of the things that I think fuels that is the incompetence of John Fisher. Right, This guy is not exactly a genius here. He inherited the money that allowed him to be in the position that he's in here. Um, Look at what's going on with Gap right now, too. Not exactly an ideal thing with his family company. So it's not a done deal. Um, If it were to happen, Vegas says they could potentially have a ballpark ready by 2028. 
that would mean Oakland's last season would be next season, 2024. And there's a huge question mark about where they would play in 2025, 2026, and 2027. Yeah, they've got a AAA park there in Las Vegas, but it doesn't have a roof. And it's 115 degrees in Las Vegas in the summer. I can't imagine that's a viable option to play Major League Baseball games there. So it's not over. It's not a done deal, but it's certainly looking bad if you're an Oakland A's fan. And, and I would say is- that, uh, uh, you know, about the 2025 to 2027 part is they don't have a TV deal. So they, they're not getting any money. They, they don't have anything worked out there. So that and the only TV deal they do have only pays them if they play in the Bay in Northern California. I saw uh, their team president talk about that. So they don't have, they still have no, as you say, nowhere to play for really the next four years. And so they have to work. They have to find something fast and work it out. You know, a television deal, get possibility, or they're going to have to find somewhere in the Bay area to play. And and this is supposedly incredibly messy. And I'm going to preface this by saying it's from a certain USA today uh, reporter and columnist who shall remain nameless, but supposedly they would spend 2025, 2026, 2027 splitting time between the AAA ballpark in Nevada, just outside Vegas, Oracle Park, the home of the Giants, of course, and the Coliseum. And that, to whatever extent that is correct, and again, given the source, I have a lot of doubts, but to whatever extent that is correct, that is an incredibly awkward and incredibly taxing three years shuttling between three ballparks in two different markets, one of which being the ballpark you have just left. Nobody's going to come to any of those games. Jeremy, like you said, that's going to make a television deal uh, very difficult for them. You don't really have like a team identity for those three years. Are you going to be the the Nevada slash Bay Area athletics for those three years? So I have no idea how that's going to work. I'm not in a major league organization, so it's not my job to know how it's going to work. But if it does play out that way, I'm just not sure how that's going to work for three seasons. Yeah, and that like I'm sorry, but I I agree that that sounds like a lot of nonsense. As I just said, they don't have a TV deal. I can't imagine whatever TV they only get paid if they play in the Bay Area, so they have to figure something out for Nevada. And their lease goes up in the Coliseum after this season, which the mayor of Oakland has been pretty adamant about a list of demands and all this stuff about what they have to do if they want to stick around in the Coliseum. So like I can't imagine them just being able to play in the Coliseum over that time period. But you know, as you mentioned, we talk about whether or not this Vegas venture is even going to work like don't just buy, automatically buy into like all these government and entities. I'm, I'm not talking to you guys. I'm talking to whoever's listening to this, uh, whatever their plans are, whatever they say is going to happen. Like just look at what's happening this weekend in Vegas. Look at this F1 race that F1 themselves is putting on. Cause they usually go through promoters, but they said, Nope, we're going to do this ourselves. Liberty media who owns the Atlanta Braves owns F1. They put out this huge, like economic impact and things about how they're going to make like a billion dollars for the city of Las Vegas for this weekend, everything this so far, it has been a complete and utter, sorry for the phrase, but shit show. That's what it's been. There's, the, you could get hotel rooms extremely cheap. They had, uh, which were priced exorbitantly high, like when it was announced in earlier in March. You can get tickets extremely cheap right now. They, Thousands dropped, of unsold tickets. Yeah, they've Thousands dropped down. They've, they've, they, you can, you can get in there extremely cheap. You can go around. It's people. Nobody's there. They say the strip is dead because nobody wants to be there for this because it's just, it just like killed the strip. So like whatever economic impact they, they're losing tons of people. So whatever they're bringing in, you have to factor in what they're losing because they're losing lots of people singing hotels. They're yeah. losing lots of people going to clubs. They're losing lots of people going to casinos. So like it has to bring up, you can't just say, well, we're bringing a billion dollars. So don't just buy all of this. Cause we're looking at a, a mess right now. So who's to say that 
athletics are just going to go to Vegas and all of a sudden all these tourists are just going to go to games just because they say so. Like, don't just buy what they say. It doesn't make any sense. Not to yeah. mention that this is a 10-year deal for this F1 thing. They started repaving the surface three times this summer in April. People in Vegas have been super pissed. This is a stadium that's apparently going in on the strip in 2028. They're going to be playing games all summer while they're like having to handle this F1 thing all summer. Like, that's going to put a dent, I feel like, in this. So yeah. I- I'm just saying, just just be skeptical of these yeah. types of things. There's lots of holes in this vision of putting a major league baseball team in Vegas. Um, the site that they have is nine acres. They need a roof because like I said, it's 115 degrees in Las Vegas. The smallest site of a retractable roof in major league baseball is 15 acres. We're talking nearly double the size of what they're working with. It doesn't add up. So I'm, I'm curious how this plays out. I don't think it's a 100% done deal. I'm holding out hope things fall apart. Like I said earlier, I think you've got the perfect person. If things are going to go wrong, John Fisher's the guy that can mess it up. So there is reason to believe that maybe this will not come through, but right now it's not adding up to me. And, and I'm really disappointed for Oakland fans. I'm disappointed for California baseball fans. I think this is garbage. And it is sad to me that all 30 MLB owners said, yeah, let's do this. We're going to be in unison on this. And, and you said there's lots of holes in this uh, Vegas plan. I, I just would also point out there's lots of manholes apparently that go uncovered <laughs> and, and ruin F1 cars in Vegas. Jeremy, you mentioned the the Oakland mayor has a, a list of demands regarding the lease. I'm just imagining it being like Ronan's list, list of demands when he feels slighted by one of us. Every so often the demands are maybe not the most reasonable thing in the world. I'm just imagining it being like that. And to be clear, um, it's overwhelmingly slighted by Randall. Jeremy and I will have our moments, but it's 99% of the time it's Randall doing something I feel is unjust. But you guys have actually given me a perfect fastball here to finish a thought I had earlier. You're both familiar with the sphere. You've seen pictures. You've seen it on social media. Obviously, it looks impressive, right? Yes. But what was bothering me during the first couple of weeks of it being open is I just wanted to know people who've gone to shows there, what's the good? What's the bad? Anytime a new venue opens there are certain workflows and processes that aren't right with every single venue. Remember when the Cubs were trying to reopen Wrigley Field during the renovations? They had to put like porta-potties in the upper deck and the lower deck because there weren't enough bathrooms open during that Cardinal series. Um, Some of the complaints of the sphere, one, there are obstructed view seats and the whole... The whole thing going into it is this is the perfect venue to see live performances. There are no obstructed views. There are, in fact, obstructed views. Another thing that made me laugh, I was looking at Google reviews, people who've been to the venue. There is a handicapped section in the sphere that has stairs leading to the section. Hmm. That, to me, is just <laughs> – right, that, that, that is just – Perfect, right? So what was bothering me is I would type in Sphere and I want to know what's the real deal with this place. Visually, it's very impressive. Everything from the New York Times, the Washington Post, uh, the LA Times, every outlet is this place is amazing. Look at videos of how cool this place is. But I go to venues, right? They're not all perfect. I want what's the bathroom situation like? What are the lines like for the concessions? The entire upper deck in this venue, you cannot stand in because it's too steep. This is a concert venue. You're trying to tell me that you put 18,000 people in a concert venue and you can't stand? That, see, that to me is a problem, and you're not getting that when PR controls every story that you see online. So I'm glad that the reality is coming out, and I think that we're seeing it with the F1 race. We're going to see it more with Oakland going out there. Um, Vegas is an interesting place. I do like Las Vegas, but the Sphere isn't the perfect venue. I don't believe it's the future of music venues. And I'm just annoyed when PR dominates the news headlines. Like, can a newspaper for once have an independent thought and investigate something instead of just turning around a PR from 
the Dolan group in Madison. Yeah, I was going to say that. We know these people are assholes. We know this venue isn't perfect. Let me get the real news. And if you're looking for the real news, do a Google review search of that venue. Hit the lowest reviews. It's very funny. Some of the complaints of what's going on with that new venue. And Ron, excellent point. The only thing I'd seen about this year that wasn't how amazing it looks or whatever was that they've reported a nearly $100 million loss on the venue and that their CFO uh, decided to take his ball and go home, that he was tired of dealing with uh, James Dolan. So those are the only two things I had seen about this year that were not positive. And like you said, clearly there's a PR effort out there to ensure that most of what's floating around in the ether uh, is not uh, is not of the negative sort. Yeah, yeah I, 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 oh, go ahead. Well, but I'm just not, I'm not of the mindset that just because something is new means that it is better. Like there are things, like when they opened new Comiskey Park on the south side, the first row of seats in the upper deck were further from the plate than the last row of seats in the old Comiskey Park. Why? Because there's luxury seating all over the place. So you can't tell me the upper deck in the new ballpark is better than the old one. It clearly isn't. You're, you're literally further away from the field when you're in the front row of the upper deck in New Comiskey than the last row of the old park. So anytime a new place opens, yeah, it's shiny, it's clean, but does it make sense? Is it, have they put any effort into things like concessions and lines at these places? What was security like getting into the venues? What's parking like when people are trying to get into these places? Um, there was criticism of the handicapped parking spots at the Sphere is so far away from the actual venue that it sort of defeats the purpose of it being handicapped parking. So there are criticisms of these places. I wish that that stuff would appear in news articles, not just, oh, look at this shiny dome here. It obviously looks very cool, but another criticism I have just watching YouTube videos, every damn person there's on their phone filming the stupid <laughs> screen. If I'm going to a concert, I don't want to be looking at 18,000 LED screens or, or you know people's phones. I want people to actually be present and enjoying the show, and I wonder if that's even going to be possible or ever possible in a venue like that that's such a spectacle. So, well, I, you know, you got to be able to get into these things. And unfortunately, the New York Times, the Washington Post, they don't do that. They just run a press release from Madison Square Garden and say, look at this amazing place. This is the future of live music. I don't know that the sphere is the future of live music. How are you going to get your the videos to watch if people aren't on their phones recording them? But I agree I, I in the sense of from what I've seen in the sphere, uh, I was taken aback at when I've seen the inside of it briefly. Uh, how high it did seem because I thought it seemed very steep just looking at pictures and stuff like YouTube playing and I did the inside of it did not seem all that impressive to me I, I was like I don't know how it is acoustically obviously but I was like this this is the inside like it just kind of what wasn't that impressive but I will say you know for that hundred million dollar loss I mean they that that did come out like they had they only factored in like two U2 shows into that yeah so, like we, we still got to wait and see what's going on yeah. uh, with that story but yeah the Dolans I uh, they're a mess. We know they're a mess. The Knicks are a mess. Madison Square Garden, who knows? Everything about that is a mess. So I, I wouldn't trust uh, uh, the Dolans at all. So like, I, yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy out there in Vegas, which is why I've said it's the most oversaturated market in, in the world in terms of entertainment dollars. And the A's are going to go there. And after the Raiders already went there, after the Knights came in, you know, the Raiders left to get away from the A's. And now the A's are following them to Vegas. Like, People, you know, they they do they're when they spend their money, they're I don't think they're just gonna automatically everyone's just gonna drop it on the A's because yeah. people have limited dollars and there's so much they can do in Vegas. 
Well, I'll certainly be curious to see how Major League Baseball leverages the sphere moving forward. They've got their first sporting event booked for next September. UFC is going to do a fight there on Mexican Independence Day. The NHL is talking about putting the draft there. I think it's inevitable that the NFL draft or part of the NFL draft will take place in that building. Maybe Major League Baseball will have some type of a presentation or event that ends up in that space as well. Um, It's obviously impressive. It's just not perfect. And I wish that you could get more honest feedback on what these places are really like. MLB's event in the sphere, they will project an image of a baseball on the outside. The inside is just going to be Rob Manfred doing two hours of stand-up comedy. I mean, they they projected a baseball on it yesterday with the A's on it for the announcement. And the A's believe that out with the racetrack going around it. People are like, ah, two shit shows in one picture. (laughs) Um, And people were very mad that the A's tweeted out that picture of the sphere with the A's on it. They're like, you know, no respect for their Oakland fans. No, no, I'm feeling for those fans in Oakland. Um, Great, great baseball town, better than uh, I think the national media has treated them, given what's happened the last 30 years or so. But it's not over. It's not a done deal. Just one step closer for that team making the move to Nevada. Um, Any other baseball thoughts before we break here today? You know, it's probably going to be a slower week as we go up to Thanksgiving. You don't typically see teams getting up to a whole lot Monday, Tuesday of that week. But that week coming out of Thanksgiving, I'm looking for things to really pick up. It'll be the start of the week that will end in the beginning of the winter meetings. That's a little roundabout. So I'm looking for things to really pick up coming out of Thanksgiving. I hope uh, Jed Hoyer enjoys a wonderful Thanksgiving with his family and comes out of the holiday refreshed, rested, and ready to make a whole lot of free agent pitches. Well, let's end with this then, speaking of Thanksgiving. uh, Jeremy, I'll let you go first here, and Randall gets a a chance to let it percolate for a minute. Um, Something you are thankful for in the world of the Chicago Cubs here as we get ready for Thanksgiving 2023. Ah, something I am thankful for. I will say right now I am thankful for the – I will say I am thankful for the – uh, well, I'm just gonna say right off the top, I'm thankful for Craig Council making a commitment to come here. <laughs> I mean, right now, I I, I want to say I'm thankful for the, the the rumors and like the the rumblings that the Cubs are gonna spend this offseason. But until they do it, I don't feel like I can say I'm thankful for that. But we do actually have is a is them going out and spending eight million dollars the most on a manager to come here. So that's what I'm thankful for because that's the uh, uh, impact move in my opinion. So I'm thankful for that move. I I, I don't want to like overstep and say what I'm thankful for in the future. Uh, Jeremy, I was a little worried you were going to take mine. You did not. Uh, I am thankful for a a front office with somebody at the helm who clearly has a vision for selling this team and this city to players who could potentially come here. And I am thankful to hopefully get to see that play out successfully in the winter ahead. Yeah, right, I, that's I, good. I didn't want to say that because what if it doesn't happen? <laughs> so. Well, I got two here. Um, First one, in light of what we're just talking about, I'm thankful the Cubs have a stable ballpark that we are not a franchise that's really at risk of moving. Even when Tom Ricketts was floating through David Kaplan, oh, maybe we'll go to Rosemont. It was like, bullshit, that's not going to happen. They've invested all this money. We got Wrigley Field, I think, for a minimum of at least 50 years right now. And honestly, I don't think they're ever not going to play at Wrigley Field. At this point, there's enough money you can fine-tune the place. You can add things to, to make it modern. It doesn't make sense, I think, for the Cubs to ever move out of Wrigley Field. So I'm very thankful for that. The second thing I'm thankful for is the fact that Kosuke Fukudome was a Cub 
and I've got my Chinichi Dragons Kosuke Fukudome jersey. It is the best conversation starter in terms of apparel since my Garth Hudson the Band custom t-shirt that I was the only person in the world that had. Every time I put that Fukudome jersey on, people come up to me. People tell me how they met him. I got Japanese guys coming up to me, flagging me down on the street, wanting to talk about Chinichi. I love that jersey. I love Garth Hudson, and I'm thankful that Kosuke was a Cub. But... You know, the, the Fukudome jersey makes you a person magnet. And you wouldn't think a Chunichi Dragons Kosuke Fukudome jersey would be that much of a conversation piece. But that's what baseball does. It brings people together on the back of a Dragons jersey that says Fukudome. And if Otani comes in, it's going to be even better because obviously there's going to be a lot more Japanese media. There's going to be more Japanese fans. And I got this OG Chicago Cub from the year I was 21, 2008. So I like the fact that I got, you know, the original there, Kosuke Fukudome, if Otani is in fact the Cub this summer. Yeah, and then you want to talk about conversation starters, in my opinion. Uh, besides, you know, two of you guys have Junichi Dragon jerseys, so you, you both can go out and get... Uh, all the people coming up to you, but uh, I think we should start, you know, maybe some BTYL merch could be a conversation starter. Mm. Get some of that out there. Yeah. I, I'm not sure anyone would buy those. I feel like we'd lose more. Mm. I feel like what we'd lose in the setup. Buy. I feel like what we'd lose in the setup fees, we would uh, maybe not make back at retail. I, I'm not saying buy necessarily. I'm just saying, you know, you can walk around the BTYL shirt, uh, some images possibly on the shirt, and I think people will be like, ah, oh, what's that? Randall J. Sanders COVID-19 mask, where when you put it on the bottom oh, half that, of your face, good merch. matches Randall's. I like that. I buy, I buy 10 of those and wear it with my Coast Gagers. Surprised you don't own them already. I'm working on it, for sure. Uh, anything else, guys? Uh, Ronan, you're coming into town I am. in the very near future. So one of those rare occasions where all three of our BTYL hosts will be in the same locale. And we are going to a hockey game over at the United Center on the west side, and I'm making Randall tailgate. We're getting up early. We're getting out to the west side. We're going to tailgate and have a good time and see these Blackhawks. Uh, funny enough, they're playing St. Louis, which adds a little bit more to it. So uh, it that'll be fun. The Ice Cardinals. Uh, yep. Yeah, just just for me, for my, you know, just one thing I was just thinking about the whole time was just, you know, today was a deadline day uh, for the non-tendering some stuff. So you, you see a lot of action. So we, we saw a few trades. We saw uh, White Sox make a move last night, interesting move. We saw some other trades and uh, the Braves have a lot of action. And then we saw, uh, you know, some interesting non-tenders, I, some some beefy boys out there, Roddy Telez and, and Dan Vogelback, former Brewers. Maybe Craig Council wants a beefy boy. Maybe Craig Council wants, says, go out there, let's get uh, Brandon Woodruff on a two-year deal who was non-tendered, uh, you know, expectedly so. I think it was all the rumors out there. He was going to be non-tendered. They were trying to shop him, trade him. So, mm -hmm. you know, he's going to miss the season this year. So uh, just, just some interesting things like that, I thought. All right, good stuff. Well, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, happy Gobble Gobble to you, Randall. Uh, we'll be back as Cup News breaks here. Maybe we'll get some breaking news next week that we can pop into an emergency pod here. And uh, maybe a little bit later this winter, we got an Otani emergency pod that we're all going to be looking forward to. Uh, we'll see you next time back for episode 130 next time here on Behind the Yellow Line. We'll see ya.